So as Hamish and uh, Rachel reminded us, uh, last week we looked at the, the preceding verses in Philippians, um, Philippians 4, 6, and 7. Do not be anxious about anything, but in everything by prayer and petition with thanksgiving, make your requests known to God. And the peace of God, which transcends all understanding, will guard your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. And then we go on to this next passage, which fits in with those previous verses. Finally, brothers and sisters, whatever is true, whatever is noble, whatever is right, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is admirable, if anything is excellent or praiseworthy, think about such things. Whatever you have learned or received or have heard from me, or seen in me, put it into practice, do, do it, so think and do, and the God of peace will be with you. The God of peace will be with you. I, I, I want to uh, pick up on last week's message about not being anxious, and we talked about the sources of anxiety and the fact that if you, if you pedal back a few hundred years, in society, we would not be worrying about many of the things that we worry about today. We would not be aware of them. We wouldn't live in the global village that we live in. People were only aware of their immediate surroundings. So the levels of anxiety and stress have increased exponentially in our society as we, as we doom scroll, as we read and read streams of news, 24-7 news uh, on our tablets and on our phones and on our television screens about what is happening in our own lives, about what is happening in our nation, about what is happening around the world. And then we talked about the different sources of anxiety that affect every one of us and the spikes in anxiety. And then Paul's command seems almost impossible to obey. Do not be anxious about anything. Um, And yet, we talked last week about the sense of displacement, about, about worry and anxiety being displaced at the center of our lives by Christ. Do not be anxious about anything, but in everything, by prayer and by petition, make your request known to God. Instead of worrying, pray. Take your anxious thoughts and shape them into prayers. And then all of a sudden, the peace of God, which is above everything that you can fathom or work out, it will stand guard, stand sentinel over your heart, your emotions, and your mind, your thought life. And so that's where then this passage kicks in, uh, chapter, uh, verses 8 and 9. It follows on from this teaching on, on not being anxious. Because then Paul says, instead of being anxious, I, I want you to start thinking about different things. I want you to think differently. And instead of being anxious, I want you to pray. But I also want you to think well and to think about the right things. So he says, whatever is true whatever is noble, whatever is right, whatever is pure, lovely, admirable, excellent, praiseworthy. I want you to think about those things. And then he says, and then I want you to do the things that you've heard from me and have been taught by me and have received from me and have seen in me. I want you to do those things. I want you to put them into practice. And then you will know the God of peace that I'm talking about. So it's how we think is very important. Think about 
these things, Paul says. He's directing their minds and their, their thinking processes. Whatever's true, whatever's noble, right, pure, lovely, admirable, excellent, praiseworthy. Proverbs 23 says, as a, as a man thinks in his heart, so he is. And um, Bertrand Russell said, many Christians would rather die than think. In fact, they do. What we think determines everything. The th- our thinking is the software of our lives to the hardware of our actions. Our thinking, as a man thinks, as a woman thinks, so he or she is. The way we think determines everything. Our, the way we think determines our emotions and it determines our actions. Everything begins with a thought. And bad thoughts and wrong thoughts and wrong ideas and wrong ideologies can kill you. They can take you along the wrong path. They can destroy your life. They can destroy societies, ideologies and ideas that are wrong. Ideas like Nazism that took hold of a society and spread throughout Europe and caused millions of deaths. Invasions of sovereign countries. Ideas and thoughts that are wrong thoughts. And in a theological sense, when we have wrong thoughts, we go down the line of heresy. We think wrong things about God and we think wrong things about ourselves. So as I thought about this message this morning, I I thought of a couple of books uh, that I will put up on the screen for you um, that informed my thinking as as I thought around this subject. The first book is a book by James Emery White and it's called A Mind for God. This is a great little book. It's not, it's not very big, it's not very thick, but it's full, of, um, it's full of really good stuff about the way we think and the way we read and the way we use our intellects and the importance of worshipping God with our minds. Jesus added the mind bit to Deuteronomy when he said, love the Lord your God, this is the greatest commandment, with all your heart, soul, strength, and mind. Love God with your mind. So... Um, I recommend this book to you, uh, James Emery White. The other book that uh, we're referencing is The uh, Wisdom Pyramid, which we did this uh, series on Sunday evenings fairly recently, Finding Your Soul, um, uh, Feeding Your Soul in a Post-Truth World, uh, which the, the premise of this book is that it's based on the food pyramid where people are recommended various things to eat. If you eat a healthy diet, you will eat a certain amount of fruit and a certain amount of vegetables and a certain amount of pulses and, and so on. And there will be kind of this, this pyramid, this food pyramid. And um, Brett McCracken took that concept and he said it's the same with our souls in that there are certain things we should be feeding ourselves. And if we feed ourselves on these things, we will feed well, we will eat well, we will be spiritually nourished. And so I want to look at those two uh, books this morning ha- ha- lean on them a little bit as, uh, as we look through this subject of, of thinking, thinking well, thinking Christianly. Os Guinness said, thinking Christianly is thinking by Christians about anything and everything in a consistently Christian way, in a manner that is shaped and directed and restrained by the truth of God's word and God's spirit. And so if we put up the next slide... Uh, I want to talk to you about the sense of what causes anxiety in us in, in the areas of, of thinking. 
This is what uh, Brett McCracken says in the Wisdom Pyramid. He says, too much of anything causes problems for our health. And this is as true of the information we take in as the foods we consume. And the information bombardment we increasingly face, characterized by non-stop swiping and scrolling and viewing and listening and reading and texting and multitasking from morning to night, is creating stress in our brains and contributing to rising levels of anxiety. We are an anxious society in that way because of the amount of information that we are bombarded with. We went through on those Sunday nights, and for those of you who weren't there on Sunday nights, this will be a good introduction to the theme in the book for you. And for those of us who were there, it would be a good reminder to us of how are we doing in these areas that we looked at. But the th- the, there's three areas that we looked at on, on, uh, as we looked at uh, this subject in our series on Sunday nights. And the first thing about this, uh, this plethora of information that is going into our minds is that it's, it's too much information. That we, we take in nowadays, we take in more information in one day than our society would have taken in over a year or several years. The amount of information that we receive daily from our phones and our tablets and our televisions um, is, is non-stop. So we have too much information which makes us anxious. And then we have the speed of information as well. Um, we have the amount and the, the speed with which we have to process and so people's attention spans have decreased as we scroll and we, we flick and we read and we skim. And we're constantly taking inf- information all the time. We're not necessarily going deep in anything, but we're, we're constantly skimming and taking in. It's too much information and it's too fast half the time. And the, and the third thing that we considered on those Sunday nights was that actually it's very focused on ourselves. That the information that we are receiving now is often determined by algorithms. So if you look at a certain newspaper or you read a certain blog, the computer, the algorithms in the the browsers will start to realize what you like, what you read, and it will give you more of what you like and more of what you read. And your opinion and your viewpoint will become narrower and narrower as you are fed by these algorithms, information that pleases you or that is focused on you. And so we lose a sense of a a proper worldview, a wider worldview of listening to opposing views and opposing opinions, which is why we're struggling so much these days to hear those opposing opinions. And we get lost in our own thoughts and our own ways. So too much information, too fast, and too focused on ourselves. So I want to look at the power this morning of displacement. And again, I've done this illustration before, but I've I've talked about the power of displacement. So I'll put up the next slide. I want to read this quote to you from uh, Thomas Chalmers. Thomas Chalmers was a preacher in Scotland in the 18th century, and he preached a sermon called The Expulsive Power of a New Affection. And what he basically said was, the best way to disengage an impure desire is to engage a pure one. And the best way to expel the love of what is evil is to embrace the love of what is good instead. To be specific, we must replace the object of our sinful affection with an infinitely more worthy one, God himself. The expulsive power of our new affection weakens and even destroys the power of sin in our hearts. So he's saying, if you want to get rid of something in your life, 
You need something more powerful, more compelling, a new affection. It's this place of displacement. And the next slide is another quote by D.A. Carson, which I'll read to you, and it says this. One of the sovereign remedies against sin is to spend much time, thoughtful time, meditative time in the scriptures. For it is impossible to get rid of the trash in our minds without replacing it with an entirely different way of thinking. So it's impossible to get rid of the stuff in our minds. So that's where this illustration comes in that I was going to show you. I've shown you before. But we were talking last week about anxiety. Do not be anxious about anything. And our anxious thoughts, which we fill our minds with from all this bombardment of too much information, too fast, too focused on us, constantly filling our minds with trash, with rubbish, with misinformation, with a world view, a view of the world that is informed by media, by different uh, people with different agendas. And we, we fill our minds and, and then, says Brett McCray, it's no worry that we're so anxious. And, and Paul was saying, what we were saying last week was that it's not just stop being anxious, but instead of being anxious, start to pray instead. Start to pray to God and start to uh, pour out your prayers and your petitions with thanksgiving. Uh, and the peace of God will begin to transform your life, your mind. What D.A. Carson is saying and what Chalmers is saying is that to get rid of these things in our lives, in our minds, we need to displace them with, with a new affection, with a new thought, a worthy thought. And so when Paul is then going on to our thought lives, he's on the same theme. He's on the same theme of displacement, but he's saying, instead of thinking one way, I want you to think another way. Instead of thinking anxious thoughts, I want you to think about what's true. I want you to put truth in your minds and... I want you to fill your minds with truth, and I want you to think about true things. And whatever is noble, I want you to start to put those things in your mind. I want you to think about whatever is noble. And whatever is right, I want you to start thinking about things that are right and that are, uh, that are, uh, that are straight. And whatever is pure, I want you to think about those things, to focus your mind on them, to put those kind of thoughts in your mind. And whatever is lovely, I want you to think about lovely things and to put those thoughts in your mind. And whatever is admirable, I want you to think about admirable things, things that are excellent. Fill your minds with excellent thoughts, with excellent things. And then I want you to fill your minds with things that are praiseworthy. And as we do this over and over and over again, our minds start to change and our thinking starts to change. And instead of just saying, just stop it, stop being anxious, stop uh, having wrong thoughts, we have to fill our minds daily, weekly, monthly with these thoughts, pure, lovely, admirable, excellent, praiseworthy. Think about these things and your mind starts to be transformed. And which is why Paul says to the Romans, he says, do not conform any longer to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your minds. Renew your minds. Think different thoughts. Constantly fill your mind with things that are true and noble and right and pure and lovely and admirable and excellent and praiseworthy. Think about these things, Paul says. And as you do that, your mind and your thoughts start to change. 
And, and your mind all of a sudden is filled with things that are good and pure and lovely and admirable and excellent and praiseworthy. But it's been an act of displacement, which is what Chalmers is talking about when he says we need the power of a new affection. If we put that slide up again with the D.A. Carson quote, let's, let's read that again if, if we can. If I'm scrolling backwards, probably mess up the media team now. Saying, oh, like, don't do that. Um, One of the sovereign remedies against sin is to spend much time, thoughtful time, meditative time in the scriptures, for it is impossible to get rid of the trash in our minds without replacing it with an entirely different way of thinking. So if we're filled with negative thoughts, if we're filled with anxious thoughts, I mean, I guess this is the direction of travel for cognitive behavioral therapy where they take a way of thinking and they replace it with another way of thinking. You're thinking the wrong things. You're thinking illogical thoughts, thoughts that are wrong beliefs. And we need to replace those thoughts with correct beliefs, with true beliefs. So Paul says, don't fret or worry. Instead of worrying, pray. Let petitions and praises shape your worries into prayers, letting God know your concerns. And before you know it, a sense of God's wholeness, everything coming together for good will come and settle you down. It's wonderful what happens when Christ displaces worry at the center of our lives. So there is a displacement that's going on here as we focus and we fix our eyes on on Jesus. So if we read our verse again, if we put our next screen up and go back to our verse, finally, brothers and sisters, this is the direction of travel that Paul's taking us on, Whatever is true, whatever is noble, whatever is right, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is admirable, if anything is excellent or praiseworthy, think about such things. Whatever you have learned or received or heard from me or seen in me, put it into practice. Think and do. And then the God of peace will be with you. Do not conform to the pattern of this world. Let's read that but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Then you will be able to test and approve God, what God's will is, is, his good, pleasing, and perfect will. Or the, the New Living Translation says, don't copy the behavior and customs of this world, but let God transform you into a new person by changing the way that you think. Let God change you into a new person by changing the way that you think. What are we feeding our minds with? What are we filling our minds with? And this is where I want to lead you, just remind you, using the wisdom pyramid, of of some of the sources of those true thoughts, those noble thoughts, those right thoughts. How do we think about things that are excellent or praiseworthy? How do we get that stuff into our minds so that instead of the dirt and the dross and the rubbish, We've got something that is pure and good and a right way of thinking. So if we put up the wisdom pyramid, the concept of this book was that there are various ways that God gives us his wisdom, that God gives us his truth. God gives us things that are noble and right and pure and lovely and admirable. And then this wisdom pyramid at the bottom is the Bible, the word of God, that as we read it, as we imbibe it as we think about it, that it begins to change us and change our way of thinking. And then there is the church. 
And then there is nature and beauty, and then there are books, and then there's the internet, and then there's social media. And what he was saying in the book, that many of us have inverted the pyramid, we fill our lives with social media. We fill our lives with the internet. And right at the top, we might have a little bit of the Bible occasionally in our lives. And that's where our thinking is going wrong. So we've got to get this pyramid right. So if I just take you through just a few of those things, the Bible, the first thing, if we pull up that quote, the Bible is our most important source of wisdom because it is literally the internal God, the standard and source of all truth, revealing himself. What a miraculous thing, yet sadly many of us are bored by it, struggling to read it habitually, if at all. Our Bibles collect dust in a dark corner of our rooms while our Facebook feeds are constantly refreshed. The statistics are quite scary, and I'm not going to confound you with them today, but the statistics of, of the amount of time that we spend filling our minds <laughs> with stuff like Netflix <laughs> and Facebook and Twitter and goodness knows what else, the amount of time that we fill our minds with this stuff all the time, and, and then we're, we're, we're concerned about the way we think or a lack of a biblical worldview. And the amount of time comparatively that we spend in the Word of God, filling our minds with the things of God, the truths of God, um, are the wrong way around. And, and we need to address that and think about it for ourselves. So Psalm 1 says, Blessed is the man or woman who does not walk in the counsel of the wicked, like listen to all this stuff, or stand in the way of sinners, or sit in the seat of mockers, but their delight is in the law of the Lord and the word of God. And on that law, they meditate day and night. They are like a tree that's planted by streams of water which yields its fruit in season, whose leaf does not wither. Whatever they do will prosper. Not so the wicked. They are like chaff that the wind blows away. And so the wicked will not stand in the assembly of the righteous. So blessed is the one who meditates on the law of the Lord day and night. This truth of scripture. Rick Warren has said that the memorization of scripture is one of the most transformative disciplines that you can have in your life. To hide God's word in your heart. So that when you need it, it comes to the fore. The words of God like, like rivers of living water, at times when you most need them. So there are some great passages of Scripture to memorize. It would do you so much good to memorize Psalm 23. The Lord is my shepherd. I shall not be in want. And, and that whole psalm is, is something that we've memorized, and, and Jenny used it when she was uh, having our children. She <laughs> meditated on and quoted Psalm 23 in the most painful of moments. And there are moments of our lives and, uh, that we need the scriptures, the words of God to come forth out of us and uh, to use them in that way, to memorize them. The Bible speaks of washing of the word. Sometimes we say, as preachers, we get a bit discouraged because you preach a message and by the time somebody's got home for their Sunday roast, they've forgotten what you said. 
But actually, it's not that discouraging because I, I, I reckon most of you can't remember what you had for dinner last Tuesday. But you did, you ate and you nourished your body and you fed yourselves and you continued to live well and healthily. The Bible says that when we hear the word, when we read the word, it washes us. So every bit of scripture that we, that we take in, every bit of sermon that we listen to, every message that we imbibe, as we sing these songs of truth, let the word of Christ dwell in you richly. As you sing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs with gratitude in your hearts to God. And as we imbibe the word of God, it washes us and it cleanses us and it purifies us and it changes our thinking. And so we, we find that we have the truth of God inside of us. The psalmist says, I have hidden your word in my heart so that I will not sin myself bankrupt. J.I. Packer said, if I were the devil, I should broadcast doubts about the truths and relevance and good sense and straightforwardness of the Bible. At all costs, I should want to keep them from using their minds in a disciplined way to get the measure of its message. And so the Bible is so important to us, the word of God to change our thinking. The statistics said, and I did this many years ago, but that about 34% of Christians read their Bible on a daily basis. So the challenge is to each one of us, I guess, is to fill our minds with truth. Your word is truth. If we fill ourselves with the scriptures, who are we listening to? What is filling our minds? You fill your minds with trash. Trash in, trash out. So the Bible is one source of wisdom. The next source of wisdom, if we put that slide up, is the church of Jesus Christ. In a world that is constantly on the move, church worship forces us to be still. In a quick-to-speak world that is definitely loud, church worship allows us all to sit quietly and listen, basking in God's word preached and his wisdom imparted in a world where we spend way too much time talking about ourselves on social media and blogs and YouTube and so forth. Church worship allows us to talk about God and to God. You cannot and you will not grow and thrive in your faith without being part of and immersed in a local expression of the body of Christ. The local church, Bill Hybels used to say, the local church is the hope of the world. And church is a place of wisdom. It's a church, it's a place of connectivity. It's a place where together, we are built together as stones, as a place to worship God. That's why it's so important, I think, if you are watching this service online, I understand that people watch this service from around the country and, and you are very welcome. I understand that there are some people watching it from different countries. But if you're in Plymouth and you're part of this fellowship and you are physically able to come, it's such a difference to be here in the building, to be present with God's people in a physical manifest way. It's the design of God. It's the way God made us it's the way God designed the church. We sing that song about the resurrection of Jesus Christ and the breath coming into his body and the church of Christ was born. And we get excited about that, but it is exciting because it's God's design. 
It was Jesus Christ's utter design that it would take 12 misfits and he would send them into the world to preach the gospel. And the church of Christ would grow. And the gates of hell would not prevail against it. The church of Jesus Christ is the hope of the world. In local expressions like this one, and St. Andrews, and St. Matt's, and Mutley Baptist, and Central Methodist, and every church that meets in the name of Jesus Christ as a local body to preach the gospel, but also to grow together, it is impossible it is impossible to grow as a Christian in isolation. It's not the way God made us. It's not the way God designed us. We are built together as stones, as living stones, to become a habitation for God. God lives and moves amongst his people when they are gathered. There is something about the gathered people of God, the ecclesia, that is a divine dynamic, that the Holy Spirit moves in ways that we cannot experience on our own. And that includes jarring against each other. It includes putting up with one another, like we talked about Euodia and Syntyche. It includes working out our differences. It includes iron sharpening iron. It includes the wise becoming wise as they walk with the wise. It includes all of those things and all of the one another's of Scripture. And so if we are to think about things that are true and noble, and right, and pure, and lovely, and admirable, and excellent, and praiseworthy. The church has a big part to play in that, in our thinking. Because also we hold each other accountable in our theology and in our doctrine. It's so easy to go off on one and begin to think wrong things. To think the wrong things about God and about each other. And we need to hear and put ourselves under the teaching of the word of God. God has appointed some to be apostles and prophets and pastors and teachers and evangelists to equip God's people to do the work of the ministry. So important that we fill our minds with these things in the atmosphere of the church body. So we haven't said much of this, but I am going to Give the challenge to those of you who are watching at home who haven't rejoined us. If you are able, physically able, I know there are some that can't, but there is such a difference between watching church online and being physically present with the people of God. We are to break bread together. We are companions. We break bread. We share bread. Come, parnis, to be those that share bread. We are we are to do so physically in a geographical place with a local people, this people in this place to the glory of God in the mess of congregation. The next place of wisdom uh, is, is and the way that we fill our minds with these good things, with the purity and the good things of God is through nature and beauty. And uh, this wisdom pyramid, how are we going to do this? How are we going to fix our minds on these things. We talked about the Bible as the foundation, the word of God, the truth of God, and we fill our minds with that. And then the church of Jesus Christ, but also then nature and beauty. The, Psalm 19 verses 1 and 2 says, the heavens proclaim the glory of God. The skies display his craftsmanship. Day after day they continue to speak. Night after night they make him known. The beauty and the amazingness of nature to get out into nature. Uh, Augustine called nature the second book of God. 
It declares the glory of God. The heavens declare the glory of God. They speak forth this language. So if we want to think about things that are true and noble and right, if we want to fix our minds on things that are pure and lovely and admirable and excellent and praiseworthy, if we're to think about such things, then there is a place in nature and beauty for that. And so we sing the old hymn, O Lord my God, when I in awesome wonder consider all the works thy hands have made. I see the skies, I see and I hear, I see the stars, I hear the rolling thunder, thy power throughout the universe displayed. Then sings my soul, my Savior God to thee, how great thou art. That response of worship. Now, we are not to worship the creation. We are not pantheists. We do not think that God is in all of creation in the sense of a place of worship. We don't worship the sun and we don't worship the stars. What they do is they point us to the creator. They are a symphony of God. As we've been singing this morning of all of these things, and if all of these things worship you, then so will I. They are the declared beauty of God in nature. So to get ourselves out into nature, to get ourselves out and to see the beauty of God is an act of worship. And to listen to and to respond to the, the, the glory of God in these things, it will do us good. It's not, it's not surprising to me that mental health experts advocate getting outside, getting into nature, uh, exercising, doing physical things. It's, it's so good for us because as we fix our minds on things that are beautiful, are good, praiseworthy, excellent, lovely, then we will uh, be brought to a place of worship. The poet Elizabeth Browning said, Earth is crammed with heaven and every common bush afire with God, but only he who sees takes off his shoes. The rest sit around and pluck blackberries. Earth is filled with heaven and a fire with God. Another place of uh, wisdom, how to think these right thoughts, how to fill our minds with the good things of God is books, is, is, is the place of books in our lives. To read well, to fill our minds with good things. James Emery White in his, in his book, A Mind for God, says a single book the right book, can deepen your understanding, expand your vision, sensitize your spirit, deepen your soul, ignite your imagination, stir your passions, and widen your wisdom. And a, a monk in Normandy in 1170 said, a monastery without a library, and the, the Latin is sine armario, is like a castle without an armory, sine armamentario, our library is our armory, <laughs> said this monk. To read well and to read widely. And in this book, if you are so inclined, at the back of this book by James Emery White, he gives us several reading lists. If you're going to read 10 books, read these 10. If you're going to read 25 books, read these 25. If you're going to read 100, read these 100. But to read widely and to read deeply... And C.S. Lewis said, read the old books. Read the old books of wisdom. 
but to fill our mind. And I think part of um, what Bertrand Russell was saying, that most Christians would rather die than think, and most do, is that we need to fill our minds with good things and with right things and pure things and lovely things and, and admirable and excellent things and true things. And um, James Emery White said that when he went to university, he realized that if he was going to out-argue his opponents in matters of faith, he would have to outread them and outthink them. So it's so important that we fill our minds with good things. Many good books and audio books, if you're not a big reader, to fill your mind with those good things and ask other Christians, experienced Christians, where you should start. And finally, beauty is the final piece in the pyramid. Things that are beautiful. Psalm 96 in the message version says, for God is great and worth a thousand hallelujahs. His terrible beauty makes the gods look cheap. Pagan gods are mere tatters and rags. God made the heavens. Royal splendor radiates from him. A powerful beauty sets him apart. Bravo, God, bravo. Everyone joins in the great shout. Encore, in awe before the beauty, in awe before the might. Tom Wright, in his book, Surprised by God, says that beauty is an echo of God's voice. Beauty things that are beautiful. (laughs) Why are things beautiful? Why did God make things beautiful? He could have just made them functional. But there are many things that are beautiful. A beautiful piece of music, a beautiful uh, piece of art, beautiful act of creation. And beauty, we don't worship beauty. The problem with the world is it does worship beauty. It fetishizes it. It it, uh, turns it into an industry. Um, and it, it turns it into something we worship in and of itself. But beauty is an echo of God's voice. It points us towards heaven. It points us towards God. The creation points us towards the creator, which is why Paul says, think about things that are lovely. <laughs> think about things that are admirable, excellent, praiseworthy. Think about those things. And ultimately, in all of this, if we're going to not conform to the pattern of this world, if we're going to be transformed by the renewing of our minds, if we're going to start putting different kind of thoughts and patterns and things into our thought lives so that our minds are renewed and purified, so that we think good thoughts and godly thoughts and Christian thoughts, if we are to be transformed, ultimately, all of these things, all wisdom and all knowledge, are found in Jesus Christ. Which is why in Hebrews we say and we read, let us fix our eyes on Jesus, the author and the finisher of our faith. Is Jesus true? Jesus said, I am the way. I am the truth. (laughs) I am the life. Is Jesus noble? Is Jesus right? Is he pure? Is he lovely? Is he admirable? Is he excellent? Is he praiseworthy? Jesus is all of these things. All of these things are personified in him. So let us fix our eyes on Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith. If I gave you a sheet of paper now, each of you, if I gave you a blue sheet of paper and I said, stir at that piece of paper for 10 minutes. So you stir at it for 10 minutes. I give some of you, on this side I give you blue. On this side I give you red. In the balcony, what color would you like? I'll give you black. 
and I say, stare at that piece of paper for 10 minutes. And then I say, what color are you thinking about? <laughs> if I ask you for a color, what color comes to mind? What do we fix our minds on? What are we thinking about? Fix your eyes on Jesus, the author and perfecter of our faith. And to bring us back to the peace of God, the Bible says in Isaiah, you will keep him in perfect peace, whose mind is stayed on you. Or you will keep him in perfect peace, all who trust in you, all whose thoughts are fixed on you. Do we want the peace of God which transcends all understanding? Do we want the God of peace that Paul is speaking about here to the Philippians? Then we've got to fix our eyes on Jesus. Fix our thoughts on Jesus. On what is unseen rather than what is seen. If we're going to say don't be anxious about anything, but in everything by prayer and petition with thanksgiving, make your request known to God. We've got to displace worry at the center of our hearts and lives with Christ. And it's amazing, the message version says of that scripture, what happens when Jesus replaces anxiety at the center of our hearts and lives. An amazing peace comes and settles us down. And then Paul goes on from there to say, so I want you to start changing the way that you think. I want you to start filling your mind with the wisdom and the truth of God. Now we've just used there a bit of a framework of the wisdom pyramid to look at the role of the Bible and the role of church and the role of nature and the role of books and the role of beauty and information to start to think about what we're filling our minds with. So in the morning maybe it is that instead of opening your phone or your tablet first thing and doom scrolling and filling your mind with stuff that fills your life with anxiety. Open the word of God. You meditate on the scriptures of God. And as Rick Warren says, if you can worry, you can meditate on God's word and you can worship. So I want to I pray for us this morning. Slightly different kind of message but I, want to, I did want to get kind of practical I want, because I want you to th think about these things. And, um, but to come back to the truth of the fact if we want perfect peace in our lives, and the Hebrew says, shalom, shalom. If we want shalom, shalom, then we need to trust in him and we need to fix our thoughts on God and on Jesus. So let me pray for you this morning. Heavenly Father, we thank you um, for your word, the washing of your word, which is truth, and the practicality of your word as Paul instructs us to fix our minds on the right things, to think about things that are true and noble and right, pure, lovely, admirable, excellent, praiseworthy, and then to put into practice the things that we've seen and heard and received. Father, I pray that we would be Christians who think Christianly, who walk like a Christian, who talk like a Christian, and who think like a Christian. Help us to fix our eyes on Jesus, who is the author and the finisher of our faith. I pray that we would not be anxious, Lord, but that Jesus Christ would displace anxiety at the center of our lives. Lord, as we fill our minds and our thoughts with the things that are God-given and good, 
I pray that we will be transformed. We'll be new people who think differently. I pray this will become a reality for each and every one of us. In Jesus' name, amen.